Well, it is a great pleasure to welcome all of you who are listening in person, maybe in one of our different venues or in the live auditorium. Also, for those of you who are checking this out online today, we're glad that you are taking part as well. Glad we can be one church, even in many different locations, when some of those are homes and some of those are other venues. Just good to be together. Today, I want to think about something that I'm pretty sure we all have in common. There are a number of things that we all have in common, it seems to me. Maybe you'd like to just slip your hand up, if you would, please, in case any of these sort of sound familiar. How about sending the embarrassing text to the wrong person? Anybody ever done that? Yeah, lots of you have done that. I've done that. How about eating an entire multi-serving bag of snacks by yourself? In one sitting, all right? That's most all of us. How about diagnosing yourself on WebMD? And the doctor isn't happy about it, right? Okay, there are a lot of different things. Another thing that I believe that most all of us have in common is doubt. Doubt. There are all sorts of different things that we doubt. Maybe you've doubted whether or not to buy a certain house or a car. Maybe you've had doubts when it comes to who should you marry? Or should you get married at all? Maybe doubts about what should my major be in college? Or should I change careers? If you're a parent, you've probably had doubts about your parenting skills, like when you cannot get the children to sleep at night, or when the only thing your kids will eat are French fries, or when you lose the first child while your wife's in the hospital giving birth to the second child. Not that I would know anything about that, mind you. Well, another thing that many of us have in common when it comes to doubt are doubts about the realm of faith. Faith. And I get it. Faith is something where we operate in the realm a bit of the unseen. Yet for most all of us, sight is one of the most powerful tools that we have to prove to ourselves that something is real. And so when you lose that as one of the possible avenues to give you yourself some certainty, that doubt can start to creep in. I understand that. That makes some sense. Now, add to that the fact that there are influences and influencers all around us who would love nothing more than to introduce doubt into your faith when it comes to areas of faith and righteousness and, and beliefs and behaviors. And then right as all of that is swirling, you have some circumstance that comes up in your life, some difficulty that you have to face, and it just starts to snowball a little bit. And pretty soon you find yourself at a spot where you start to wonder. And that wonder leads to doubt. One of the things I love about the Bible is that it speaks to real life circumstance. And the fact is it's been written by a group of people guided by the Holy Spirit who knew that we would be facing doubts ourselves. In fact, most of them, it's recorded for us, faced their own doubts. So when we read the Scriptures on this subject, we can know that what we are getting is not just flippant. It's not just simplistic answer. It's not just the right answer that you're supposed to say. It's born out of real-life circumstances. 
And today we're going to look at one of those guys who faced doubt himself. It's the Apostle Peter. You might even be familiar with the famous circumstance where Jesus is out on the water. And Peter's like, let me walk out there too, Jesus. And he says, well, come on. And, and Peter starts walking. But when the waves got high, his faith got small. And he starts to sink. Remember what Jesus said? He said, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? That's Peter. This is a guy who's going to have something to say to us today because it's born out of his, his experience. But he didn't stay there. Peter grew forward. He becomes a man who lives with the greatest certainty that we really find, really in an unparalleled sort of way. And so he writes because he knows that he's, he's speaking to some people who are facing doubts of their own, influences from around them. And they were subject to doubt. And so he writes some wisdom for them and, and a warning for them to help them when in doubt. That's what we're talking about today. When in doubt. And I invite you to go ahead and turn to this passage we're going to be in. It's 2 Peter chapter 3. We've come to the last chapter. We've been making our way verse by verse through this letter of 2 Peter. And we've made our way to the final chapter. There are only three chapters in 2 Peter. And so we're going to be wrapping this series up pretty quickly. Uh, but that's what we're going to be today. So go ahead and open there if you would. Your Bible, your Bible app. There are a few pieces of practical wisdom and advice that Peter lays out for us here in these verses. And we're going to take a look at each one of them. Not so that we can fully conquer doubt today. Once and for all. Because that's probably not going to happen. But rather so we might be equipped for how to face doubt, how to handle doubt when it comes up. How to overcome. So we're going to take a look at his wisdom. And the first piece of wisdom that he gives us in this regard is to think clearly. To think clearly. Here at the beginning of chapter 3, Peter starts by saying, Dear friends, that could also be translated beloved. He's writing to people who were dear to him, who were in his heart. And it's actually quite a change in tone as we start into chapter 3. Because if you remember, the last verse that we looked at, right at the end of chapter 2, talks about pigs and vomit. <laughs> and if you were with us, you probably remember, because it's not all that often you get to talk about vomit in church. If you weren't with us, you're just going to have to go and listen to it online because today I just don't have enough time to regurgitate that whole message for you. All right, so that's where we are and where we're going. Verse 1, it continues. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. There are a couple of clues that Peter gives to us there in that first verse that help us to understand where he's going, what's on his heart and on his mind. He begins here, in this first verse, by saying, this is my second letter to you. It's almost like it's a, it's a little jab. It's like, well, I've written to you before. You should be growing forward in these ideas and these thoughts, but here we are again. And then he also says in verse 1, he says that he's writing to remind them. That is a very common theme in this whole letter. If you remember back to chapter 1, there were three times in four verses where he says, remember, remember this, remember that. And what was he trying to get them to remember? 
He was trying to get them to remember their experience of faith, their experience with the gospel, their experience of where they were and then where God brought them through His grace and through His mercy, what their experience had been because it would remind them of how God had been active in their life. Also, back in verse 1, he talked about the fact how God has greatly blessed, in fact, given us everything we need for life and godliness. He says there's so much here, and I want you to remember, I want you to be reminded, because if you think back, and this works for all of us, if we think back to the things that we have seen God do, There are things that we ought to pull into the moment, that we ought to pull into the present for the future to remind us of His goodness. Because sometimes when we get in the midst of the challenge, when the doubts start to rise, we ourselves push away that which He's already done. Peter says, don't do that. Be reminded. Verse 2 goes on, says, I want you to, look at this, recall. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through, our, through your apostles. He's talking about God's revealed will, talking about His revealed word. This is, again, Peter being redundant for the sake of these believers. He's saying it is your experience of faith. It's what God's done in you in the past. It's also what He has written to us. And back at the end of chapter 1, if you remember, if you were with us, We looked at this very important theological idea called inspiration. It's the work of God's Spirit through the authors of the Scriptures so that what we have definitely represents those authors, their own individual personality, their style, but yet it was guided by God's Spirit. The Word of God is inspired by Him so that what we have is a benefit to us from those authors, but also a benefit to us because we know it is from God. Because it was inspired by, it was guided by God's Holy Spirit. And it's His purpose for us that we would think clearly when in doubt. That's why it's been given. That's what He keeps reminding us of. And there are plenty of influences all around us that are, key, that are capable of leading us away from thinking clearly when we're in doubt, promoting doubt instead. It can come from classmates who are there to sort of ridicule you when you express, these are my points of view, this is how I am living. Or from workmates who share or don't share, they have a very different value system than what you have, and so they come against you. They pressure you to conform. It can come from the media. It can come from social media. It can come from books. It can come from films. Now, I'm not one of those who is saying, go home and throw out your television and never turn it on again. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that we need to be discerning about what we feed ourselves, because so often it's what we go ahead and allow ourselves to be subject to that are the very things that end up promoting the doubt. Because they push our minds in directions that start to form questions, that start to make us wonder, that ultimately lead us to that place where we end up doubting. So Peter tells us, think clearly with an eye on God's blessing, with an eye on your experience of faith in the past, with an eye on the fact that He's provided for you everything that you need for life and godliness, and the fact that He has given you His Word. That'll give you the ability to stand strong, to overcome when in doubt. 
It's the first piece of wisdom. Think clearly. The second one he gives to us is this. Test the source. Test the source. When I was growing up and there, was, there were kids, other classmates, whatever, who would come against me and would sort of ridicule or they would tease or they would do something evil. And that happened from time to time because my dad was actually the principal in charge of discipline at the school. And so there were a lot of kids who had just been given detentions and whatever, and so they liked to take it out on me. So I'd go to dad and I'd complain. And he would always say to me, consider the source. Consider the source. Essentially, he would say, don't let these people who have got poor motives toward you have influence over you. That's what Peter's saying. Same thing. Look at verse 3. It says, Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. The last days, Peter is referring to here, are the days between Jesus' ascension back into heaven after the resurrection and his second coming. And from that standpoint, Peter is writing in the last days, and we are reading what Peter wrote in the last days. Also, the whole collection of time is considered to be the last days, and it's going to continue on until Jesus comes back again. And what he is saying is that in those last days, scoffers are going to come. Have you ever experienced scoffers? I'm guessing the answer is yes. If not, you've probably been hiding under a rock, or you certainly have not been very vocal with your faith because scoffers are going to come. You have scoffers in the classroom, you have it in the boardroom, you have it in the locker room, you've got scoffers at the dining room, at Thanksgiving meal, Uncle Joe, or whoever it is in your family. Probably more of the same thing. Now, the interesting thing is that when scoffers scoff, they do it in a way so that they try to come off so enlightened, right? So current, so confident. In fact, they can come across so confident in what they believe, so up-to-date, so modern, so forward-thinking, that it can be intimidating to people of faith. And maybe you found yourself there, where you've been timid about the idea of responding to this person who is holding this point of view. It's quite possible that that has happened to you. But Peter says, don't just accept what they say. He says, test the source. Because if you will, what you will see, verse 3, is that they're just following their own evil desires. They try to make it sound good, but at the end of the day, they're just trying to justify their own behavior. They're just trying to justify their own sin. And so what they're doing, that's why they're scoffing at the Scriptures, because you have to get rid of the Scriptures in order to continue on with the behavior. Otherwise, you'd have to get rid of the behavior so that you could be in line with the Scriptures. And so it's very much a self-serving motive, but yet many of us are shrinking back in the face of those who are coming at the Scriptures. He says, test the source. Understand where it's coming from and don't allow it to set you off course. So what do they scoff at specifically? Verse 4 says, they will say, where is this coming he promised? 
Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. One of the favorite targets of the scoffers were, or was the second coming because they felt that their argument was unassailable because you can't prove that the second coming is going to happen because it hasn't happened yet. And so they would go for areas like that. We haven't seen Jesus do anything in this realm, so he must not be real because we can't see him in, in that particular realm is what they would say. Now, before we get into their argument, we have to consider their premise. They're saying that God just, if there is a God, just started the world going and he is no longer involved in any way, shape, or form. And there might be times when you're tempted to believe the same thing. You might wonder, why can't, why can't I have it the way that the disciples had it? Why can't I see Jesus feed the 5,000? Why can't I see a miracle like somebody being raised from the dead? And we kind of start to go down that path in our mind, and it's like, well, I haven't seen the dramatically miraculous, and so if I had been there, then I wouldn't have any issues or any struggles with faith, which just isn't true. You ever heard of a guy named Doubting Thomas? He was there. You ever heard of a guy named Peter? He was there too. And he struggled with his own faith. Just because we might not be a direct witness to all of the miraculous doesn't discount the miraculous at all. In fact, the fact is that you have experienced the miraculous for yourself. The fact that you have life that is sustained in the face of an adversary who would love nothing more than to see your demise is evidence of the miracle of God's protection. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have come to experience God taking a life that was dead, a soul that was dead, and transforming it and making it alive bringing it to life, giving you the hope and, of, and the assurance of eternal life, that is a miracle of God's grace. Now, sometimes we become dulled to it because God's protection, His provision, His grace is so consistent. We kind of start to take it for granted. But just because we take it for granted doesn't mean it isn't in every moment present reality for us that we can rest in. So Peter has a, a response to their argument. Verse 5 says, but they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. In his argument here, Peter is appealing to two past events. He says, you're all familiar with creation. You're all familiar with the flood. God was busy. God was active. And just as God has been active in the past, we can rest in Him to be active in the present and for the future. So he points something out coming. Verse 7, By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Peter says that before you will allow those who are following after their own evil desires to be ones who step in and derail your faith, lead you to doubt? He says, test the source. Because God has a perfect track record of fulfilling His promises. Everything ever promised has been fulfilled or is slated for some future fulfillment. So when God gives us promises in His Word that He who began a good work in you will carry it on to the day of Christ Jesus, we can have confidence in that. Amen? 
Amen, indeed. Or when Peter himself says in his first letter, in his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen. Or in this text, or in this letter that we've already seen back in chapter 1, that he will give us everything we need for life or for a godly life. Amen. We can have confidence in that. We can rest in that. We can take that. We can hold on to that. We can highlight those verses. We can write them down and put them in the front of the Bible or on the refrigerator to remind us that when the doubt might start to creep in, these are things I need to go to to combat that and not allow culture, not allow those who would be desiring my demise anyway to have any sort of influence. I need to test the source that is coming against me, that is coming against my faith. And it will help me to rise up, to overcome. As we think clearly about what God has done in the past, about our experience of faith, as we test the source that is really stepping in to lead us to doubt in the first place. Sometimes that source is in our own minds as well, by the way. That we just start to swirl. We just start to allow things to erode our confidence. He's giving us some ways to stand strong, to be reminded, to overcome in the midst of what we face. And he gives us one more thing, one more piece of wisdom, and that is to trust God's timing. If you've ever been in a place where it's like, oh, I'm not sure my concept of time really lines up with God. Well, there's a reason for that. Verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. Don't know if I ever told you before, but a few years ago on one read through the Bible, came to this particular verse, and it just caused me to kind of stop and wonder and and ponder the idea. It's like, Lord, is it really true? You know, a thousand days are like just a day to us, or like a minute to us. It's like I had the sense of, yes, absolutely that's true. So I said, Lord, well, is it then also true that a million dollars to us would be just like a penny to you? He said, well, yeah, that would be a, a good way to think of that also. I said, Lord, can I just have one of those pennies? He said, absolutely. Just wait here a minute. All right. Peter is making the point that our concept of time and God's concept are very different. Peter feels it's important because of what these false teachers are saying, that they've got it turned around and they're saying, because God didn't do what he should have done according to our timetable, from our, you know, from our finite perspective, he must not be real. Ever been there? God, why now? Why haven't you yet? When will you? We start to doubt because of this whole timing issue. But before we get into these guys, what about you? How are you at waiting? I'm oftentimes not very good. I hate stoplights. I hate stop. I am a major proponent of roundabouts. I love them. If you're ever trying to get a roundabout somewhere and uh, you have a petition, bring it to me. I will sign it. Because stoplights just make you sit there. Sometimes you don't even get through the light and you have to sit there another 60 seconds. And it's way too much, right? Impatience is 
a real thing. But sometimes we project our impatience onto God and onto what He's doing, His activity, or His perceived inactivity as well. Peter says, don't do that. Verse 9, he writes, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some, you and me, understand slowness. The truth is that God has perfect timing. And the truth is also that God is accomplishing, working out His perfect purposes according to that timing. God could have sent Jesus into our world any time that He wanted. But Galatians 4 tells us that when the time, the set time, had come, then He sent Jesus into the world. It was a plan. He was working it out. It wasn't just, I think I'll do it now. No, it was a plan. Habakkuk had a problem with God's timing. And so he complained to God, and God responded by saying, the revelation awaits an appointed time, though it linger, from your standpoint, from our standpoint, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay according to God's perfect timing. God always has perfect timing, and even though we might not feel it in the moment, we can certainly trust it. And when we might be tempted not to trust it, what can we do? We can remember our experience of faith. We can remember God's past blessing. We can remember His Word tells us that very thing. All of those legs can hold us up when one leg might be a little bit weak and otherwise tempt us to doubt. Because during that time, God is always up to something spectacular. Back to verse 9 again. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. See, what appeared to be some sort of cruel delay on God's part that people were accusing Him about actually just turns out to be a demonstration of His goodness and His love and His mercy. We had it wrong all along. God is doing something awesome. And in the midst of your circumstance, what seems to delay, where you're wondering, why hasn't it happened yet, Lord? Why you're, when you're tempted to throw in the towel on God because it hasn't happened according to your timetable, you can rest in the fact that He's up to something good. Part of that might be that some family member some friend of yours God is being patient with so that they might come to faith, which is an awesome truth. It's an awesome promise, but it's also an awesome responsibility because God is looking to us to share with those people that He's being patient with that they might come to faith. Who is it that you need to share with? in partnership with God's patience. Or maybe the one that God is being patient with waiting for is you. You've never really bowed your knee before Christ. You've never really made a true confession of faith. Well, this is your opportunity. This is your chance. Release the doubt. 
Trust God's timing. And give your life to Jesus. See, he's being patient, but that won't last forever. Because the scriptures also say that today is the day of salvation. This is the opportunity. And I encourage you to take that step so you might be able to live in the fullness of all that God desires for you. Would you bow your heads with me? If that's you and you think the Lord is being patient, thank goodness for that. And I don't want to presume on that patience any longer, so today is the day that you want to bow your knee to Jesus. I invite you to do so right now. You can do it in a prayer, just in talking to God, saying something like this. Dear God, I have had my doubts in the past. I recognize that they are a product of what I've allowed to shape me, to influence me. Today, I'm trusting your timing and believing that this is a moment that you have ordained for me to take a step of faith. And so today, I confess my sin. I ask you for and thank you for your forgiveness. And I pledge my faithfulness to you, putting my trust in you and you alone. Friend, if that's your prayer today, that is so awesome. God's waiting for you is over. You have taken that step. Rejoice with you. If, you would, if you'd be willing to just write that on that Connect card before you turn it in, I'd love to know about it. Or you can tell me after. I'd love to, to pray with you. If you're listening online, you can reach out through text or email or phone or the Connect card you have online. Let us know so that we might be able to encourage you and, and pray for you. Father, for all of us, we acknowledge that there are days where we're tempted to doubt. And Peter points out to us because he experienced it himself. He knew exactly what to say. And so he points out for us what can lead us there and gives us some wisdom in telling us to think clearly about who Jesus is, about what Jesus has done about what our experience has been, about the goodness we can point to to help us to be reminded about your goodness, to test the source when there are influences around us that would lead us astray, that would take us off course, that would make us say, oh, well, maybe it's all this, this new interpretation that is better than what God has just clearly laid out. That we would test the source and not allow those who are trying to justify their own sin to stand in the way of our faith. And then to trust your timing, Lord. 
we don't have the perspective that you have. And when we find ourselves in those circumstances, when in doubt, that we would choose to rest, we'd choose to rely on you, knowing that you have our very best in mind. Lord, may we experience that this day, this moment, and as we go forward to encourage as we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.